Number 38. We're going to look at a few things today, and hopefully it will be a help to us as Christians. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, for whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts. Guide and direct us, and I pray that you would help us to rightly understand and know this truth. That while we are in no way saying that we need to go out and seek to be a doormat for someone, we need to practice Christian grace. And I pray that you would help us to learn some things from this today that will be a help to, a help to us and an encouragement for the next few moments. I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit to have free reign and free course in our hearts. That we would take the stiff-neckedness and the rebelliousness of it. The heart that tends to resist things that are of truth. And may you allow us to bring it into subjection. May you allow us to lay it to the side and allow your Holy Spirit to have free will. I pray that you would allow the distractions that may come this way to be put away from us, the burdens that are upon our hearts, as we focus our minds directly upon the truth of your word. Guide and direct, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We find that uh, the world has its own philosophy, and uh, we, we live in a world where we certainly understand uh, things haven't changed in all these years, really, have they? And, uh, you know, the, the idea being that uh, if somebody hits me, I'm going to hit them back. In fact, I'm going to hit them harder. If somebody comes after me and criticizes me, I'm going to criticize them. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, I don't, you ever hear this phrase, I don't get even, I get what? Ahead. Some of you know that one. So you're not going to get even, you're going to get ahead. And that's kind of a world's philosophy, isn't it? Now, I want to start off by saying this, that the Bible tells us here that we're not to resist evil and uh, understand the context of what Jesus is speaking of here. He's certainly not telling us that we're not to resist the devil because we know that the Bible does not contradict itself and others, other places in Scripture. It tells us that we are to resist the devil. We're to flee from him. What we're speaking of here is evil doing, things that people do to us to hurt us or to offend us, perhaps persecutions that come our way. Uh, times that people mishandle us. It's interesting to know that uh, as tough as we think we are sometimes, the truth is we as humans are pretty fragile creatures, aren't we? Uh, we uh, I, years ago I preached a message on the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit is the attribute of gentleness, and the Bible teaches us that. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. And so uh, the idea being that uh, there are times that we hurt people, and there are times that people hurt us. They do evil to us. And how we respond to that in a large part that will be determined by the level of spiritual maturity and the growth that we've had in our Christian life. Uh, I think that we've got to be very careful. In fact, the title of the message uh, that I preached years ago on the subject of gentleness was Fragile, Handle with Care. Because the truth is we are very fragile people. We go out to a lost world, and there are times as a Christian that because we are so steadfast and we don't want to compromise, and we certainly don't want to bend on the things that we believe God's Word teaches, we almost think that in order to be steadfast and strong and unmovable, that we also have to be mean and cold and distant. 
Can I tell you this, that even though we have to remain steadfast, and even though there needs to be a faithfulness to God's Word, and an uncompromising on the truth and the doctrine, there needs to also be mixed with it a heart of compassion for those that are lost. Now we find here, as we get to verse number 38, that Jesus is going to take some of the common preconceived ideas of the culture of their day, And as we look at these, you're going to find that they're very similar to some of the things we face in the day we live. You've heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That kind of sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? I'm going to get even. I'm going to get ahead. I'm going to get them back. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to let anybody come and and, and treat me wrong or mistreat me. I'm I'm going to deal with that. Now, I will say this, if you've deserved it, then then that's on you. But if somebody persecutes us or does evil to us because of the good that we have done, Jesus is speaking here and he says this in verse number 9, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Years ago, an evangelist by the name of Bobby Brown and his wife, uh, Miss Gretchen, I've known them for many, many years, came to our church. And at the time, my dad was asking me to be uh, the song leader of the church because our song leader had resigned and taken a church somewhere else. And uh, you, know how, you know how when you work for your dad, things kind of, uh, well, maybe some of you don't know, but when you work for your dad, a lot of times that uh, he, he starts off one way with you and then it ends up being something else. And his comment was, I just need you to lead music until we find another music leader. And he didn't tell me that he wasn't looking for another music leader. He just had to do it. So I ended up uh, leading music for a lot of years for my dad. And didn't know I studied a little bit of music and, and played piano, but I'd never led congregational music before. I didn't know how to lead music. And Bobby Brown, who was up in years, had uh, done the music program at uh, Tennessee Temple University. He took a lot of tour groups on tour uh, for the college and, and new music. He and Miss Gretchen were fantastic. And so my dad asked him one day, he said, I want you to go in the afternoon and spend some time with Greg and, and teach him, show him how to do congregational song leading in a church service. And so the Browns came and spent an afternoon with me. The main thing that he taught me in about two hours was not the tempo, Brother Keith. He didn't show me how to wave my arm. He did show that, but that wasn't the main thing. He showed me how to keep time. But you know, the main thing that he taught me through all of that was you can attract more flies with honey than you can vinegar. I'll never forget him saying that over and over again. Every, every time we, I'd get up to lead and, and I'd, I'd practice and he's sitting here on the front row. You, you want to know what awkward is. Try to lead an auditorium that only has one person sitting there and you're trying to do all these things he's teaching you. And over and over again that afternoon I heard him say this. It's, easier, it's, it's better to attract uh, more flies with honey. You can attract more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. As I thought of that statement, I thought of what the Lord Jesus Christ was trying to teach here. Our responsibility, our great commission that God has given to us is to go into all the world and do what? To preach the gospel to every creature. We've got to go to a world that is lost. And we've got to take the news of the greatest story they've ever heard to them. And Jesus knew that in the course of serving Him, if someone does something evil to us, that there's got to be a response that allows that person to realize there's something different about that person and their message. 
If all we did was act like the world and respond like the world, then the message would have no validity at all. Now, I, years ago, there was a, a big debate about lifestyle evangelism and how you don't need to confront people uh, with the gospel. I, I don't believe in that. I believe you ought to confront people. I believe you ought to talk to people and initiate conversations and tell them about the gospel. But I will say this, that I don't think you're, uh, you, you just look at your life and say that there's no impact that your life has either. Because the truth is, you can live a life that will de- detract from your message, can't you? In fact, one of the reasons that we teach and that we preach standards from God's Word is so that there is an outward difference about us that the world can see and notice and say there is something different about that person. There's something that they have that we want. There's something unique about them. And so we teach about standards and we teach about the outward appearance and we teach about the things that ought to be a certain way. And Jesus is trying to speak here not regarding the outward things that we wear, not necessarily regarding the the way we comb our hair or uh, the way we cut our hair, but he's speaking here about the way that we respond when evil is done to us. And this is an area that I believe a lot of Christians struggle with and fight with on a daily basis because our human nature is to rear up and say, I'm not going to let anybody do that to me. But notice what Jesus says. Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Do we have anyone in Scripture that we could look at as an example of this? The truth is we do, don't we? In fact, probably the greatest example we could ever have, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when he was in the judgment hall, and the men would come up and they would blindfold him, and they would smite him and pull out his beard and ask who spit upon him or who smote him or who pulled out his beard. And, and they would ask him, what did he do? Does anybody remember? Did he, did, he, did he launch back out and strike them? Let me ask you this. Did the Lord have the ability during that time to avenge himself of those things. Certainly he did. In fact, he told one of his disciples, he said, Do you not know that I could speak to my father right now and have twelve legions of angels come? But what did he do? He turned the other cheek. He showed grace during the time of trial. I often wonder when I stand before God how well I will measure up. I'm thankful that my salvation is not dependent on that, aren't you? But there are going to be those that are faithful servants. They're going to hear God give a commendation to them. I often wonder and I often fear that the works done in my body that will be judged since I've been saved, I wonder often how I will measure up. Have I taken the Lord Jesus Christ as my example? Have I, have I strived to try to be like Him? Have I put forth that effort? Have I longed to try to live in such a way that it would be pleasing of Him, that it would reflect Him, that I would be His representative, His ambassador to this world? I think that far too often we follow after the flesh. And can I tell you this? It is really easy 
no matter how we are spiritually, in the moment, in the heat of the moment, as the emotions rise to get in the flesh, isn't it? When the blood begins to boil, notice he says here, if whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. I've heard some people speak of this. That the right cheek that it speaks of here in verse number 39 is something of importance. Because when a man strikes you, predominantly people are right-handed. And if a right-handed man smites you, which cheek do they normally hit? They usually hit the left cheek, don't they? The fact that they have smitten the right cheek shows a level of disrespect involved in it. That he has not just smitten them, but he has backhanded them. For many, many years, for hundreds of years, in fact, if you were to smite someone with the back of the hand or with the glove, it was a challenge to a duel, a sign of disrespect. I don't believe any word of Scripture is there by accident. I don't believe it's there for no reason. The idea being that someone has insulted us, has deflated our ego, has offended us. How are we to respond? Jesus says, you've heard that it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But he says, I say unto you, turn the other cheek. Give him the other one. Notice in verse number 40, it says, If any man will sue thee at the law, take away thy cloak, coat, let him have thy cloak also. I reminded years ago, uh, our, my dad uh, built a, a church building uh, on eight acres years and years ago. I was about two years old. And to help fund some of the building program, they had bought this eight-acre parcel. Uh, they sectioned off one-quarter acre out of the corner, and they sold it off to a fellow who wanted to build a house there. And the guy paid above premium price, and it helped towards the mortgage and some of the things we were doing to build the building. The man's last name was Richardson. I remember as a kid, uh, there was a little fence that marked off his his uh, lot out of our property at the church. And I remember as a little kid, we would oftentimes be playing kickball out on the playground or off in the side, and the ball would go over his fence. And I remember jumping over the fence. You know how you guys are. You don't even think about it. You don't go around to the front door. You jump over the fence. And I remember we always knew him as Old Man Richardson. That's the way we referred to him. This man was the crankiest fellow in town. I mean, he was... Uh, You you ever get these uh, ideas in your head, these visions of this big old guy uh, coming out? And I mean, he's like mean as mean can be. And I'm sure as a kid it was over-exaggerated, but this guy wasn't nice to be around. And if he ever saw us hopping over the fence, he would uh, come out there and yell at us and want to get our parents' names. And I mean, just getting all kinds of things. I remember when I was eight years old, my dad, uh, we had an old Ford 8N tractor with a brush hog behind it. Uh, that our church used to mow the grass. My dad stuck me on that tractor and uh, told me to mow the church grass. And I was so lightweight. I was skinny back then, uh, believe it or not. I had hair too, by the way. Uh, But uh, I didn't have enough weight. Some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about. I didn't have enough weight to push the clutch in. I stood up on it, and the clutch only went about halfway. And so I had to grab the steering wheel and pull on it to get get the clutch to go down and stop the tractor. And it didn't, those old 8 in tractors, if you didn't adjust the brakes about every other week, they didn't have brakes. And uh, so uh, this thing didn't have a stitch of brakes on it. And my dad showed me where to mow, and I got done mowing, and I saw another patch of grass over by Brother Richardson's lot that needed to be mowed. And so I, I just drove the tractor on over there 
and I started to mow. And uh, there was a nice pine tree there, and it had some roots. And um, as I went up over top of this little berm of dirt and roots uh, next to the tree, the, uh, the brush hog on the back was heavier than the front of the tractor. And the front of the tractor went up in the air, and there was no steering the tractor, and there were no brakes. And I went right through Brother Richard, Old Man Richardson's fence into his yard with that tractor. Now, you want to talk about a young man that was scared to death. I didn't even want to see my dad. I thought, if I can just go home and pack my bags and hit the road somewhere, I'll find safety. It was one of those kind of deals. And, I mean, I'm trembling. Went in, told my dad what happened. Didn't want to do it. Man, you ever, you ever get that sick feeling in your stomach when you know you've got to go see dad about something? Sick to my stomach. Went in there, and I told him what happened. And surprisingly, he's like, well, man, you shouldn't have done that, but we'll take care of it. He went over to tell brother, uh, old man Richardson about this thing. He went over and knocked on his door. And this guy was not happy. In fact, he sued the church. Took him to a small claims court. My dad was going to replace the fence anyway, but he wouldn't let us do it without going through the small claims. We had to go through small claims court. He sued us, and he wanted us to replace an area of the fence, and the judge came out, a long piece of the fence, and the judge came out and said, no, they're only responsible for the area they damaged. We actually won the, the I say won, we, we got the better end of the lawsuit than, brother, than Mr. Richardson wanted. You know what my dad did? He went out and bought all the fence that it needed to redo this guy's entire fence and all the poles. All we had to do was about 20-foot section. He took every bit of that down. I remember the Saturday we went out there with a bunch of men, dug up all those poles with concrete on the bottom of them, put all new poles in. Brand new fence all the way down the side. My dad didn't have to do that. Years later, Mr. Richardson sold his property, was building a new house about a quarter mile up the road. My dad was cordial with him, at least at that point. He had learned to at least be somewhat cordial. And my dad would go down there and every once in a while just pop his head in, see how the house was going. And Mr. Richardson was having a difficult time. He was trying to do it as, his, as an owner builder. At this time, he was up in years and he needed the roof done and he couldn't get the roof done on the house. He was having a real hard time with it. My dad went to the church. He got a group of men. He went down there. And I remember the day we were down there for two days on that roof putting Mr. Richardson's roof on his house. I learned a valuable lesson as a young man. You catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar. This man had sued us. Man, was a mean, ornery old fella. You know, every time we had a special occasion at the church, after that, Mr. Richardson would come to our church services. I don't know if he ever got saved or not. But I'll tell you this, he went from being a bitter old man to a man that at least had some respect for the church. It would have been real easy for my dad and the men of the church to say, we're just going to do the bare minimum of what we have to do. This man's taken us to law. He's, he's sued us. Can I tell you this? I'm all for giving a good defense of yourself. But can we show some grace to people? My kids oftentimes will come home or they'll talk to me about uh, someone who's done them wrong. 
And without, without exception, as far as I know, I don't think they've ever heard me say anything other than this. Go buy them a candy bar. Well, Dad, they're telling me, you don't understand. They, they did this, this, and this, and this. Go buy them a candy bar. Why? They may need somebody to care for them. You ever thought of this? Sometimes the crankiest and honoriest people are that way because nobody has shown them that they've cared for them. And then we're going we're gonna to say, you know what, we're Christian. We love God and God has shown us His love to us and we're supposed to love everybody. And then somebody treats us that way and we don't respond appropriately. You know what we tell them? The God that we serve really isn't meaning a whole lot to us at that point because we're not following His example. How do we respond? The Bible says, And if a man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Just before Mr. Richardson died, he had sold the house and the property, and the company that bought it was going to tear the house down. Brother Richardson came to my dad one day, and he said, I'd like for you to have the house for the church. He said, I hate to see that thing torn down. My dad went to the church and said, they're going to donate the house to us, but we have to move it to our property. We checked into it. It was going to be about $13,000 to move the house from his property just a few hundred feet to our property. My dad went back to Mr. Richardson, and I can still remember the meeting I sat there in, and he said, we just can't afford it. Mr. Richardson said, if I give you $13,000 to move the house, would you take it? Mr. Richardson paid to have that house moved to our church. And for the next 15 or 20 years, that house was used as a mission house on our church property. All because some men of our church knew how to show grace. The Bible says in verse number 41, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. It's interesting. A lot of the Roman cities, and it was Roman law in the day that this was penned. Jesus was there. It was Roman law that a Roman citizen could compel a Jew to carry his load for one mile. Some of the younger men of the city who were normally the ones that were compelled to carry the load had uh, found places where they were more prone to be uh, imposed upon to carry the load and they would mark off an exact mile and they would place a marker at different places around the city. The idea was that they could compel them to go a mile, but they were not going to go one step beyond that. They were going to drop the load there and say, that's all I'm obligated to carry. Jesus and the the Jews understood this expression. Jesus, in speaking to that in verse number 41, said, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. I fear that we live in a day where we need some second-mile Christianity again. Where we as God's people say, well, we'll do what the bare minimum is to have a testimony for the Lord. But why can we not go the second mile? Why can we not go a little bit more than what is required of us? 
I'll tell you what happens in verse number 38 and 39 and 40 and 41. We find that there are the tendencies of what we were prone to do. In verse number 39, we are prone to strike back and do an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In verse number 40, we are prone to sue the man back or to fight that. In verse number 41, we are... We are have the tendency to go just the one mile and then drop the load. When I look at what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me, I'm thankful He did not do just the bare minimum. And if I am to be an example of Him to this world, then don't you think we ought to emulate Him? Don't you think the grace that He has shown so much, even to people who do not like Him, even to people that are His enemies? Verse number 43, He says, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them. (laughs) You know the hardest thing to do for somebody that's hurt you? It is hard to pray for them. As a kid, I used to think, okay, I'll pray for them. Lord, get them. <laughs> that was my idea, praying for them. That's not what Jesus meant. kind of turns the philosophy of the world on the end, doesn't it? How often we, even even those that are are reading the Bible and praying and walking with God daily, how often does our conduct come in line with the philosophy of the world rather than the philosophy of what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5? How often do we go that one mile and not an inch further? He said, Brother Greg, that's, that, people take advantage of you if you do that. If they do it and I'm trying to show them the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and they take advantage of me, I count that a privilege. Why? Because I've shown them Christ. Well, they didn't see it. They just took advantage of you and walked away. Yeah, but they saw it. They saw it. And I'll tell you this, if they didn't, I've got three kids And I know they did. I know my son saw it. And I know my daughter saw it. And that's important to me. Not so I can have their praise, but I want them to grow up with the grace of God in their hearts. I I think this is an area that we battle quite a bit. We live in a world where our Christianity, our our kind of Christianity has really given itself a black eye, hasn't it? We've become known as people that are intolerant and hateful. Just because we've been steadfast and been faithful and uncompromising. But we've done it without any compassion. We've done it without showing grace. Jesus certainly was an expert at this, to know exactly how to stand 
and yet be compassionate. He knew when to drive the money changers out of the temple, didn't he? But he also knew when to weep. He also knew when it was necessary to eat with the publicans and sinners. He also knew when it was necessary to meet a woman at a well. Oh, that we could learn from the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder what kind of a difference we could make in a lost person's view of Christ if we would learn these graces and practice them daily. I wonder the next time we share the gospel with somebody if they have seen Christ in us and said, boy, I sure want what they've got. I better listen to what they have to say because whatever it is, it must be good. I've seen it in their life. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for your word. We could go on and on today, but... Lord, the truth is we just need to come to a place where we practice in our lives a grace for others. Lord, not because they've deserved it, but because we have been shown great grace in our life. And for your sake, I pray that you would help us to be able to reach to a lost and a dying world and share this wonderful news of the gospel. That there would be a compassion in us. There would be a love in us for those that are lost. Bless the invitation, and Lord, use it as you would see fit. I don't know how even to give an invitation on a message like this, but Lord, one that is a message that certainly is necessary and something that is needful in this day. I pray that you would use it. Lord, may we become people who have a love not only for you, but also for those that are lost. That we would treat them gently bless the invitation and use it if there's someone here today that's not saved I pray that you'd help your Holy Spirit to guide and direct them and bring conviction upon their hearts so they can see that they need to get that settled today in Jesus name we pray amen